This is Emmanuel Today, taking steps toward God's possible in your life. It's now time for you to sit back and prepare for insights on your walk with Christ. Let's join today's message right now. We're starting a brand new series that's called Limitless, and I want to talk about your story of faith and how you can break out of your ruts and how we as a church can break out of our limitations, the lids that come on our life, how we can experience things that are new in the story of our future. The truth is that we all experience seasons where it isn't like it used to be, but we're kind of stuck into a season and we fall into ruts and limits settle in during those times. We no longer expect what we once hoped for. You know, every story has a context. The definition of context is this. The circumstances that form the setting for an event, a statement, or an idea, and in terms of which it can be fully understood and assessed. In other words, there's a backstory to why you are where you are. Everyone has a backstory. There's things that you've gone through before this day. And as a matter of fact, you can't judge a book by its cover, can you? There's really more to the person sitting next to you than you realize. Turn to the person next to you and say, you have a backstory. And the context is taking that story so that you understand it. Unfortunately, not always do we make the right assessment. We come to conclusions, and whatever conclusion we come to at different stages of our journey, it informs our decision-making about direction. Sometimes we make an improper conclusion to the context we're in, and we make decisions that take us on a trajectory we didn't want to be in. And if we look back, in our story, like, how did I get here? But it happened somewhere a long time ago when you made decisions in the middle of that story. If the conclusion is correct, we move forward. But if the conclusion is flawed, it poisons our future stories. And listen, today, this is the good news, and this is where I'm bringing the story together around the scripture. A context, if you think of the word context, without the text or the word of God, and you get conned. If you don't have God's insight, if you don't have the eternal perspective, if you don't have the word of God speaking to how you understand the story that you're in, you could get conned. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 10, in John 10, 10, he said that the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. In other words, he will take that same experience, that context, and rob you of something. He wants to rob you, your family, he wants to rob your business, of a future, and so it's in that sense of context that we need to let the Lord come in. He'll con us without the word's perspective. We can come up with the wrong conclusion. Conclusions lead to directions and many with lifetime consequences. I want you to think about this. I used to be involved with a lot of youth ministry, so I would speak in a lot of youth conventions, camps, and those kind of things, and then I taught youth pastors while I was at North Central University. One of the things I know about children is they determine their future based on what they interpret in their present. So when a kid goes through a divorce in their home and they're growing up, they they believe certain things about themselves during that time period and it informs what they believe going forward. And sometimes without good intervention, The word of God, the presence of God, a good youth ministry, come on somebody. 
or faithful people to come into that story, even a parent, because not all parents want to get divorced, right? But to interpret that experience correctly, they need advice, and they need the word, and they need God's presence. Many times, kids may come up with the wrong conclusion. They think that the reason their parents got divorced is because something was wrong with them. And it goes inside of them, and it kind of changes their future. They feel rejected, or like family's not safe, and that they'll never be able to marry in their future. Something's wrong with their DNA, so they can't imagine a future that's different. And they get conned. Perhaps you're in here today at church, and you've been conned during an earlier stage of your journey. Sometimes it's not just through family experiences. Sometimes it's through trauma or abuse. And the things we tell ourselves in those moments kind of go in. And if it's not a correct understanding, it determines our direction. People become angry. They become bitter. They don't trust authority. Even in the church context, people go through difficult experiences. And when they go through those experiences, if they don't have God's perspective, then their thoughts take them other places. And then they go down a path because of what they believe. And they move themselves away from the hope that they need in their future. In the church context, there are people that do things that are wrong. How many know the church is full of hypocrites? And there's room for more. Come on, somebody. If you, if you feel like it, come to Jesus. Let him straighten you out, right? But here's the thing. You need to think in, in terms of, have I been conned in any part of my story? Am I vulnerable to being conned during this point? Or do I have God's perspective on the story that I'm in? Painful experience can lead us to that. I even know this to be true for people that didn't expect it. When we would go to New York City on missions trips and we would work with the New York City relief bus, the bus would pull up on a street and we would serve food and bring medical attention to the homeless in the streets of New York City. And I remember we had the opportunity once we served the, the soup and the, the, the bread and the lemonade, we would sit down and we would have a meal, if you will, a conversation with those that were homeless. And as we would talk with them, they would tell their backstory. And what we were surprised by oftentimes is that these were very successful people, had jobs on Wall Street, had families, but then they were laid off or something happened to them that they didn't expect. And now all of a sudden, one thing led to another and they found themselves in a homeless state. It didn't just happen overnight, but I guarantee you something happened during the season of pain where they believed something that led them away from their hope and their help, and they found themselves outside of there. Listen, friends, I want you to know this. We live in a generation that has left the hope of the truth of the text in the context. We live in a generation they've taken God out and they've come up with their best ideas and they wonder why we're having so much pain and so much division and so much brokenness. This nation needs Jesus. Can I get an amen? Your family needs Jesus. The people around us need Jesus. Even with church-going people, we can get stuck in ruts with limits to our personal faith. We received the love of Jesus. We believed it. Maybe you grew up in church or God saved you later on, but you've been to a church for any amount of time. And while you're in church, things can settle in and you can lower your expectations. Well, I'll go to church this morning. We'll sing for a little bit, listen to Pastor Nate yell at us for a little bit, 
And then uh, we'll go home and I'll move on with my life. But in the meantime, you weren't necessarily coming here going, I'm going to meet with God. God wants to speak to me. And I need to listen to what he has to say. So those limits can come in and we can kind of get stuck in a season of our lives. Without context, the enemy can con you even into misinterpreting scripture and miss what it really means. Friends, we cannot stop growing in our faith. If we do, limits will settle in. We can't just go only, you know, in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter 2, there were actually two trees that are referenced. One is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That was the one you weren't supposed to eat from. But there was another tree. What was it? The tree of life. And sometimes we get caught up in the knowledge part. We know all the scriptures. We know everything about God. We, we go to church. We're religious. We got all the answers, but we're missing the life in our story. We need to go to the tree of life. Come on, somebody. Not just the tree of knowledge of good and evil. I love what Mark Batterson says. He says, lots of people have been following Christ for 25 years, but they don't have 25 years of experience. They have one year of experience repeated 25 times. And I think we need to move beyond that one year of experience repeated 25 times. We need to grow in our faith. Can I get an amen? The good news is for everyone, Jesus offers the other side of the equation. Instead of being conned, he says the other part of John chapter 10, 10. The feast purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying what? Life is available for everyone at every stage of your journey. It's available if you choose to go that route. Resist the thief and the con job that wants to come your way. Let the context of your story include the text of the word of God and see it come to life. Can I get an amen to that? Where are your limits? Where have you settled in? How Can you grow together with others in faith? Or is it isolated and alone? What is a person of faith? What does that mean? What does it mean for you? What is your history of faith? Your backstory? What is your context for the state of your faith today? If you've been hurt, acknowledge that. If you've been confused or lied to, or maybe you have a hard heart, acknowledge that. Where am I at? Who is your faith for? Who does your faith benefit? Your own personal benefit, or is it for the benefit of others? I believe that you can grow your faith. You and I can strengthen our faith, and our faith is meant to start somewhere. Jesus called it like a mustard seed. It's small and it can grow into something. For this series, we're going to look at the biblical hero, Elijah. I want you to turn with me to James chapter five. James chapter five. In James chapter five, this is the New Testament speaking about the church, but also pulling Elijah into the context of that story. So Elijah will enter the story as we read. But I want you to consider what we can learn about Elijah's life and how we can apply it to ourselves. James chapter 5, verse 13. Are any of you suffering hardships? You should what? Pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? 
You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord, which we do at the end of every service, by the way, in all of our campuses. You need prayer? We'll do it today, okay? Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was as human as we are, and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. All right, this text I want you to take into your context. We're going to talk about Elijah here in a moment more directly, but I want you to see in this conversation a picture of what is possible in a church, in Christians. Something is possible. What do we see here? We see praying people, singing people. It's possible that you can pray through your hardships, that you can sing through your successes, amen? It's possible, you can see it here. You see here, people are going through hard times. They are not in denial about reality. You know, there are some Christians that are in denial about reality right now. The Bible people weren't in denial. They just did something with it, okay? People who are sick, they didn't deny that they were sick. But they had hope. Come on, somebody. They had hope that was available. You see here a church that can help spiritual leaders, elders who anoint and pray for the sick. We can see here prayer offered in faith will heal the sick. That's the promise of Scripture. And there's earnest prayer that has great power, he says, and produces wonderful results. And I also want you to see that sins are forgiven in the context of those relationships. Weaknesses are strengthened in community. Healing is found for people. I want you to see that the context for all these good things, they're connected to the family of God. They're not isolated. They're not disconnected. They're in the context of being with other believers, with the church. Confess to each other so you may be healed, he says. This is interesting language because he's saying, listen, there are a ton of emotional internal anxieties that our country right now is paying a lot of money to get no results. People are medicating, they're trying techniques, they're going to seminars, and they still can't sleep at night. And he's saying in here, the healing comes not by believing that you don't have it, the healing comes that when you're in a context, a relationship with other believers, you can drop your guard, you can confess, you can say it out loud, this is what I'm dealing with in the context of trusting friendships, safe people who aren't gonna gossip about you. Come on, church. But they're gonna pray for you. And in that setting, now all of a sudden you have healing. There's release. There's shared burden carrying. There's freedom. James says healing. Now, this is why I am committed as your pastor 
not just to be satisfied with great crowds. I believe that when we show up in church, God shows up, amen? I believe our faith grows every time we get together as a church and we worship Jesus. You might come in, you're kind of in whatever mood, but as you began to sing, your eyes got off yourself, your eyes got on the throne, and then God's glory filled your soul in the context of the worship of believers. That's amazing. There's preaching of the word every Sunday. You're gonna get it as long as I'm the pastor. That's not enough for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. It's also not possible directly for you and I to find healing for the internal side of things only from the preaching or the altar time. That's a powerful thing. But it's only like one wing of a bird. If all you have is faith, is Sunday morning attendance, you might be flying in circles. There's another piece to the puzzle, another wing to the bird. And that is spiritual community and relationships. We need each other. It's really hard to do when you come and you worship in rows. And all you do is see the back of the bald-headed person in front of you. In Jesus' name, we love all types of hair and no hair. You're like, no, that's a lot more than bald. That's a lot of hair in front of me. I don't, I don't know what you mean. But I want you to hear me. All these promises aren't just for the context of a service. They're meant to be in the context of relationships. You need other sisters and brothers that you can drop your guard with, meet with regularly, enough to trust them to drop your guard. This is a good time for me to emphasize one of them, our mission statement here at Emmanuel. For everyone to know Jesus, to grow together and live with purpose. We gotta know Jesus. We gotta know everything about Jesus. He's the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. Come on, somebody. We gotta know everything about following him as disciples of Jesus. But the way we grow is together. But this is why, friends, listen, this is, this is why I am committed to continually challenging the people of Emmanuel to be in a group somewhere. To be with other believers regularly enough that you can drop your guard and you can find healing in your soul. There are many Christians that are bottled up with anxiety, but you're isolated and alone, and I want to keep encouraging you, be connected. Look at James chapter 5 again. What does it say about Elijah? He says, Elijah was as human as we are, no different. And yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. And then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain, and the earth began to yield its crops. Man, it was a powerful, powerful guy, but he was ordinary. He was just like you. In fact, turn to the person next to you and say, Elijah's just like you. <laughs> Sometimes we take these big spiritual figures and we push them off like they're Superman or Wonder Woman. They're maybe something different than we are. But James highlights that Elijah was human and he prayed. He wasn't human and did everything on his own. He was human and he prayed. You cannot separate a powerful faith from prayer. You cannot separate a powerful faith from prayer. You need prayer to be a part of your story. And James alludes to a story found in 1 Kings chapter 17. 
In 1 Kings chapter 17 in the Old Testament, in the old story before Jesus, where Elijah operated as a prophet who would speak to the people and speak to the kings, in this story, there were some problems in the land. People were not living for, according to God's ways. They weren't following his story. And because of that, there was judgment coming to the land. And you know what happened? For, for Elijah, God spoke to Elijah and says, I want you to go talk to the king. And he begins to speak things out. And one of those things after prayer was he said, I want the rain to stop, and it did for three and a half years. And then when it came time and there was repentance, then he called the rain back. Three important aspects of Elijah's faith that I just want to start with. But the first thing I want you to notice is the voice of faith. Elijah was able to speak for certain reasons. In 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1, he says, Now Elijah, who was from Tishba in Gilead, told King Ahab, As surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. He speaks with an authoritative voice. How does Elijah speak with authority to his generation. And for that matter, the hidden question is, how do you, how do I, speak with authority to the generation God has placed us in? The family, the business, the life we're in. Elijah's prayer had a voice with authority. I want you to hear this. The way that he had authority to speak was that he was under authority. There's a powerful principle here. Elijah was under authority so he could speak with authority. Jesus talked about this in the New Testament when a Roman soldier uh, came to him and said, hey, listen, I've got a servant that needs healed. I know you have miracle power. And uh, Jesus said, well, I'll come. And, and the man said, no, no, I, I don't need you to come for I am a person who is under authority. I understand how authority works. And so in a sense, he said to, to Jesus, Jesus, because you're under authority, all you need to do is speak the word, and because you have authority, it will be done at several levels below. You don't even have to go there. And Jesus said of that man, listen, I haven't found so great a faith in all of Israel. It was a powerful statement that because this man understood being under authority, he had faith. Faith, true faith, is always under authority. Submitted to spiritual authority, not isolated and alone in a renegade doing your own thing, underneath authority. I'll tell you this, one of the old con parts of, of life is if you've been hurt by authority, sometimes it's hard to come under authority. But I want you to trust the larger authority above the one that hurt you that God has a way of weaving everything together for the good. Can I get an amen? And as long as your heart stays under the umbrella of heaven, even when pe people mistreat you and authority over you, teachers, leaders, bosses, whatever it may be, you can let that go because you trust a higher authority. It should not prevent you from coming up underneath other authorities in the future. He had authority. Jesus said in Luke chapter 10, Look, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy, and you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you. James 4, 7, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The second is, Elijah had the ears of faith. 
This is actually kind of in reverse order because in order to speak, each time that Elijah saw miracles, it was because he had heard from the Lord first. When he would step out and do some amazing things, he saw miraculous ravens, he saw a multiplication of food and oil, he saw a whole bunch of things happen that were beyond the laws of nature. Every single time, it happened because he had heard God's voice first. In 1 Kings 18, when the time came for the rain had been shut off in 17, the rain was about to come back. And in verse 36, it says this, at the usual time for offering in the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command, O Lord. Answer me, answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourselves. I love that phrase. Prove that I have done all this at what? Your command. The third thing is this, the eyes of faith. So we speak out of what we hear, but what do we speak about? Faith, Hebrews 11:1. 1, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Other versions say, faith is the substance of things we hope for. We have to see beyond the present. In order to speak, and be in faith, we need to trust that God is showing us what's beyond the obstacles in front of us. To not get overwhelmed or discouraged by the things that we're experiencing, but say, Lord, only you see on the other side. Fill me with eyes to see what you have, the eyes of faith. In Matthew chapter 17, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, if you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. Jesus says, listen, if you have the faith that's so small, you can hardly see a mustard seed. That will grow over time. It will grow to a place where you can say to this mountain, be moved. In other places, Jesus said, you got to have childlike faith. So it's not just educated faith or knowledge only about everything in the Bible. Some of the most knowledgeable people about the Bible I know have the smallest amount of faith. It's because they got caught up in the tree of knowledge. They got tree in the tree of the, the knowledge of good and evil, and they were caught up in the facts, and they missed the person that wanted to give them life. And I want to say to you today that you and I can see into the future as long as we're leaning in from wherever we are. You can learn more about the various ministries that Emmanuel offers and see Sunday services and Wednesday prayer services live every week. Check out emmanuelcc.org for details. Thank you for listening to Emmanuel Today. Please be sure to tell others about this broadcast that they could enjoy next week at this same time.